Hi friends, my name is Nasra and welcome back to Unfiltered Doggin. On today's case, I'll be covering the case of Richard Speck, or should I say the man who killed eight nurse students in Chicago. He carried out one of the most terrifying, horrendous murders in United States American history. So let's hop into a little backstory of Richard before we can actually get into the details of his crimes and whatnot. Richard was born into a Jewish family in Kirkwood, Illinois with parents Benjamin Franklin Speck and Margaret Carbaugh. He was the seventh child three boys, four girls. Benjamin Richard's father was working as a packer at Western Stoneware in Monmouth, Illinois at the time, and his mother on the other hand was not a nurse, not but what we do know is that this woman was a very strict religious parent. Benjamin, her husband, ended up passing away at 53 years old in 1947 due to a heart attack and Margaret, she just remarried and fell in love with a travel insurance sales agent she met on a train trip from Chicago, and the two hit it off pretty quickly, and yeah, August Lindbergh, the man she fell in love with, he was a hard drinker, he had a 25-year criminal record, which consisted of several arrests for drunk driving, forgery, and more. He was just the opposite of hardworking Benjamin Specht, although it was reported that he was also abusive to his children and his wife when he was alive. Margaret and Lindbergh got married on May 10th, 1950 in Palo Pinto, Texas, and the couple moved to Santo, Texas without Richard and Caroline, who is Richard's youngest sister. She is the youngest out of the siblings. Yeah. But so Richard and Caroline they didn't move in with their mother or their step and their stepfather because Margaret wanted Richard to at least finish second grade and not take him out in the middle of school. So instead Richard and his sister stayed with their older sister, Sarah Thornton, in Monmouth for a few months before the two moved to Santo, Texas, where Richard attended third grade. At school, Richard, he was not doing good at all. He was a poor student. He was a satisfactory student, and he was getting bullied for his every move. And this was happening from fourth grade throughout elementary school, so like from fourth grade to eighth grade. And it was reported that he failed eighth grade, so he had to repeat it again because he wouldn't talk, like, at all. Reason why he wasn't talking, which is kind of obvious and clear, was because his peers bullied him to the point where this boy was anxious and self-conscious about his voice and his ability to speak out loud. In 1957, Richard attended grade nine at Crozer Technical High School, and he was flying past first semester failing every single course he did not study once he didn't care not one bit all he wanted to do was at least get over first semester and before second semester could start on January 1958 he dropped out at 16 years old and scored 
himself a position working as a laborer for a 7-Up bottling company in Dallas, Texas. As you know, August, being this alcoholic, verbally abusive man he is, Richard, from the age of 12 to 15 years old, followed in his stepfather's footsteps and started getting drunk every single day and getting in trouble with the law. At 14 years old in 1957, he was arrested for the first time for trespassing. He also committed a bunch of petty thefts, petty charges over the next few years of his life. In 1961, October of 1961, he met a 15-year-old named Shirley Malone at a Texas State Fair. At this point, this guy's like an adult. I don't know why he's linking up with a 15-year-old, but he did, and the two liked each other, and Shirley got pregnant. Richard ended up proposing, and they got married on January 19, 1962, and they had their firstborn first daughter named Robbie Lynn on July 5th, 1962. Everything seemed to be going fine for the two, but what Shirley didn't notice was that her husband, Richard, was actually serving a 22-day sentence for disturbing peace following a drunken altercation. In July of 1963, Richard was he was on a spree. He was on a spree. He was robbing stores, not only for the cash in the register, but for beers, 70 cigarettes. It was just a whole lot of things he was robbing and forging. And so he did get caught at 21 years old, and he was sentenced to three years in prison for him robbing stores and forgery. He was also given parole after serving 16 months in the Texas State Prison located in Huntsville, Texas. On January 9th, 1965, one week after his release. Now, you would think when people go to jail and they come out, they're happy that they're free. They have their freedom now. You know, they're looking for jobs. They don't want to commit the same crime or like they just don't want to go back to jail. But that was not the thing with Richard. It looks like he didn't, like, learn his lesson. Instead, he assaulted a lady in a parking lot of her own apartment building with a 17-inch carving knife. That's like 44 centimeters, 43, 44 centimeters. When the woman screamed in agony, he ran away, of course. And within minutes, he was caught by authorities just a few blocks away from the apartment building. Richard was convicted of aggravated assault, and he was given a 16-month sentence with a parole violation term, and he was sent back to Texas State Prison. But because of some freaking clerical error, because someone messed up something, he was freed six months later on July 2nd, 1965, upon completing his parole violation sentence. When he got released from prison, he found a job. He worked as a driver for three months at a meat company, and it was reported that this man caused six accidents before he was fired for not showing up to work the next day. Holy crap. Just a lot of accidents. Like, did they not find out after the first accident? I don't know. But December comes around. His mom, at this point, 
Lindbergh, August Lindbergh and his mom, Margaret, they're not married anymore. He divorced her and he ran off to California and she's single. And so, yes, his mom knows he's with Shirley Malone, but does she care? No. Instead, she tells her son, you know what? I know this this uh, used-to-be professional wrestler who works at your favorite bar, Guinea Lounge. You should move in with her. And so he does. Things just go left from there. Speck, one day, he goes to his this favorite's lounge called Guinea Lounge Bar, and he gets into an altercation with a customer, and he ended up stabbing the guy. Richard was charged with aggravated assault again. However, his attorney found a way to get the charge reduced to disturbing peace instead. And all he had to do was pay 10 freaking dollars. $10, just $10. And he couldn't even do that. And he was late to pay $10. So he was sentenced to three days in jail. When he was released after three days, he went to a tattoo shop and he got born to raise hell tattooed on his arm. Still continuing his criminal ways, robbing stores, stealing packets of cigarettes, he was able to get his sister Caroline, his younger sister, to drive him to a Dallas bus port so he can run off to Chicago, Illinois. He spent a few days in Chicago with one of his older sisters who is married. Again, two of them, two of his older sisters are married. So like there's one named Sarah Thornton and Martha Thornton. But in this case, he is staying with Martha and her husband, Jean, which I'll get to later on. And so he stayed with Martha like for a few days. And then he goes back to his hometown Monmouth, Illinois, where he stayed with a couple of his childhood friends friends, until he got back on his feasts. Now, comes along Richard's first victim in his own hometown, Monmouth. He finds his first victim on April 3rd. A 65-year-old woman named Virgil Harris witnessed a man robbing her home before he assaulted her tied tied her, bounded her, whatever you want to call it, and raped her. She told the cops that her attacker spoke with a mild southern drawl, which Richard Speck picked up over the years of living in Texas. But that's not all. In the same week, like literally just one week later, in the same month, Mary Catherine Pierce, a local bartender, went missing on April 9th, just around noon, 12 p.m., Her body was discovered a few days later on April 13th in an abandoned hog barn behind the local tavern, having died from a punch to her abdomen that caused her liver to burst. Immediately, detectives, they already have a suspect. Who's their suspect? Richard. They interrogated him, but like always, he was able to escape back to Chicago before he was caught and you're going to be realizing this a lot like he commits crimes and he somehow manages to escape the police although he escaped his hometown Monmouth he stayed in Illinois matter of fact he stayed in the capital of Illinois Chicago the state capital and he 
got himself a position on a ship. Around the same time Richard was working on the Great Lakes ship, 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 he was needed for interrogation in the disappearances of three women in Indiana and the murders of four other people along the route in Michigan. And police in Indiana and Michigan, they clearly just wanted to have a talk with him because, you know, they want to question him about his whereabouts at the time of these murders and disappearances to help their separate investigations. You know what? Like, this guy's really... He's bad news. Like, he's one hell of a guy. And his tattoo really signifies his life. Like, I'm not saying he's bad news because of his crimes. Yes, because of that. But because even on a normal day, he he's always in some type of altercation. When he gets a job, he's always doing something that will like will cost him to get fired and on top of that he's injuring people like he can never stay out of trouble the hell like anyways on april 19 1966 so he's staying in this two studio apartment with his married older sister not sarah but martha and her husband jean in this like two studio apartment and Martha before she was like married to Jean she worked as a pediatrician so she worked with kids and Jean on the other hand was working as a railroad switchman at the time with experience of being a U.S. Navy veteran. He thought merchant marine may be a good fit for Richard so on April 25th he brought Richard down to the U.S. Coastal Guard office so that Richard can obtain a letter of authorization to work as an apprentice sailor. Just like any top government or Navy job comes fingerprinting, photographing, and taking a medical examination. You can either either go to like your doctor or a physician for that. And Richard, he lands the job and he joins the Clarence B. Randall crew, a L6 SB1 class bulk or Lake Freighter shortly after receiving the letter of authorization. Speck's first journey aboard the Clarence B. Randall was cut short when he was diagnosed with, like he had a problem with his appendix on May 3rd, and so he was airlifted to St. Joseph Hospital in Michigan, where he underwent an emergency operation so basically he's no longer with the crew and now he's looking for like other jobs at this point june 30th speck's brother-in-law gene thornton took him to the national maritime union hiring hall in chicago's jeffrey manor area so that richard can fill out the paperwork to achieve his Siemens card. Once he filled out the paperwork, he returned on July 8th, 1966, to not only hand in the paperwork, but to apply for the position on a cargo freighter ship, only to learn a few days later on July 12th that the position had been filled by someone with greater experience in that field, which Richard was left pissed, I'm pretty sure. All of us at one point went through a job interview and did not get it. And, you know, got to learn from that experience, you know. And, by the way, the way that this National Maritime Union 
Hall was positioned was that it was located one block east of five connected two-story townhouses. Three of those five two-story townhouses is where nine nursing students lived. And so Richard said between the time of him applying for the position and not getting the job, he said that it was his first time he paid attention to the nurse students. And Richard decided, well, why not make an appearance on the footsteps, footsteps, on the doorsteps of that townhouse where the nurses lived at, which was also adjacent to the hospital on July 13th, 1966. And he came at 11 p.m. on the dot on July 13th, 1966. And he had a knife in his hand and he stabbed and killed and raped Gloria Davy, Patricia Matusk, Nina Joe, Pamela, Suzanne Ferris, Mary Ann Jordan, Marlita, and Valentina Passion. And I know you guys are like, well, that's just eight people. Where's the ninth one? I'll get there. Give me a second. Speck, he held the ladies captive in the house for hours, leading them out one by one, stabbing, strangling them before raping and, you know, just killing them to death. Only one woman, the ninth nurse student, Cora Amuro, managed to get out by crawling under a bed while Speck was out with one of his victims. Speck may have lost track of the number of women residing in the townhouse. Maybe he thought it was just eight women, eight nurse students, or he knew it was nine, but the ninth one got away before he got to her. We don't really know. It could be like either he knew or he didn't. And since we don't know that for sure, what we do know is that Cora, she was under that bed until six in the morning the next day. When she felt that it was safe to leave her hiding spot, you know, Richard was no longer in the house and her freaking like friends downstairs were dead. She jumped out the northeast window on a ledge and screamed that all of her friends, the nurse students, were killed by this man who had a tattoo on his arm and so the police were called the police show up investigations open and Richard's fingerprints were found on the door of that townhouse the media was going crazy over this man who has born to raise hell on his arm the news was spreading quickly around town and Richard was identified at the Star Hotel on July 15th for the first time by a drifter named Cloud Lunsford. Cloud came across this picture of the suspected killer and he realized that this picture looks exactly like Richard Speck. And so he called the police thinking that the police is gonna to answer but oddly on this day nobody responded to the call even though there was still evidence that Cloud Lunsford called the station. Speck, on the other hand, felt like walls were closing in on him, and so he tried to commit suicide on the night of July 16, 1966. But just in time, the desk staff got to Richard's room, and he was admitted to the hospital, Cook County Hospital, in more detail the next morning. And at the hospital, Dr. Leroy Smith a 25-year surgical physician was in charge of Richard, 
when he noticed something strange on his arm, the tattoo of Born to Raise Hell that was flooded all over the media. And who has the tattoo besides Richard? Nobody. Dr. Leroy, he called the police and Speck was arrested. But before Dr. Leroy called the cops, apparently Richard confessed to the murders of the eight nurse students. But because he was under heavy drugs at the time, it was no longer valid in the court of law. However, Speck, he ended up confessing in public to Chicago Tribute in 1978. The trial comes around and... It was on April 3rd, 1967, when Cora identified her buddy's killer in court. When she said that this man, Richard Benjamin Speck, killed my buddies besides the police, already matching like the fingerprints and evidence to Richard. They knew it was him, but they also wanted her to identify him in court, in which she did. However, the jury on April 15th founded Speck guilty, and he was sentenced to die execution style. But he was soon granted a pending appeal and his conviction was accepted, but the execution style death was overturned because it was considered unconstitutional. And therefore, the Supreme Court of Illinois had literally no option but to send this man to prison. And so on November 21st, 1972, Judge Fitzgerald sentenced Richard to 400 years to 1,200 years in prison. At his first parole hearing on September 15, 1976, he was denied parole in seven minutes. He also tried to get release on 1977, 1970. 1981, 1984, 1987, and 1990, he was denied release in seven minutes on the dot, as he should. After complaining about him having serious chest symptoms on a Wednesday evening in his cell, he was transferred from the Stateville Correctional Center to Silver Cross Hospital in Gillette, Illinois. That was the closest hospital from that correctional center just before December 5th, 1991. Specht died in the early morning of December 5th, one day before his 50th birthday, from what was suspected to be a heart attack because he had blocked arteries and his heart was just, like, enlarged. That's what, like, led to his deadly heart attack. Speck's sister, on the other hand, one of his four sisters, was concerned that his bureau would be vandalized because of the crimes committed. Therefore, he actually had no resting place and Speck was cremated and his ashes were actually scattered in a remote area of Gillette, Illinois. This is it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and I'll see you guys in the next. Bye!